السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاطر النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We are in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. And traditionally, Muslims have always spoken increasingly of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in this month as it was the month of his noble birth. The title of today's talk was given as the exalted status of the Prophet Now, So much can be said about that. The question, what is the status of, of Rasulullah How exalted is his status? It's such a general question that it's the equivalent of saying or asking, what's Islam? So, so much can be said. But I hope to share a few thoughts about some aspects of the Prophet Wasallam's greatness. One only has to look at the position given to him by Allah. The titles conferred, conferred on him by Allah and the status accorded to him by Allah Himself. In Surah Al Nashrah, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, Alam Nashrah Lika Sadrak, Wadana Anka Wizrak, Ladi Amkada Dahrak, Warafana Lika Dikrak. Have we not expanded your bosom for you? And have we not removed your burden from you, which weighed heavily on you, literally which broke your back? And then Allah says, And we have elevated your mention. Various authors of hadith, including Imam Hibban in his Sahih and others, they relate that the Prophet ﷺ said, Jibreel ﷺ came to me and said that my, your, my Lord and your Lord asks that what is Allah's elevation of your mention? That Allah has said in the Quran, 
that we have elevated your mention. So my, your, my Lord and your Lord, Jibreel <coughs> asked, is asking what is the meaning of that? How has Allah elevated your mention? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam replied by saying, Allahu a'lam, Allah knows best. In this hadith is a good lesson. That imagine, Allah in the Qur'an is speaking about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Jibreel alayhi salam comes to him to ask the recipient of revelation, the recipient of the Qur'an, that Allah is speaking of you in this verse, what does he mean and how has he elevated your mention? And the Prophet ﷺ's reply wasn't, I think, rather he said, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. So Jibreel ﷺ said to him that Allah has elevated your mention by stating that whenever I, Allah, Allah says, whenever I am mentioned, you shall be mentioned alongside me. So that, has, that is how Allah has elevated his mention. Now what greater status could anyone have? That is just part of the exalted status of our noble messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whenever Allah is mentioned, he is mentioned. And that is throughout a Muslim's life. And the most famous instances of the Prophet ﷺ being mentioned alongside Allah are in salah, in prayer, and preceding the prayer in adhan, in the khutbah of Jumu'ah, at the beginning of every sermon, in salah itself, in tashahud, in nikah. In fact, the whole life of a Muslim is punctuated with repeated mentions of the name of Allah and His Messenger. When a child is born, a Muslim child, it's sunnah to recite the adhan in the ear of the child. And the idea is that as soon as a child is born, one of the first things that should enter the ear and thus the mind and the heart and the consciousness of the child is the name of Allah and his Rasul wasallam, And that's through the adhan. So Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah, ashhadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah. So as soon as a child is born, one of the, well, we are encouraged that that should be the first thing that is announced and recited in the ears of the child. So a child comes into this world with the name of Allah and his Rasul وسلم, through the adhan. In infancy, a child will be with the mother, with the parents, with its siblings, 
an inner household where repeatedly there will be the recitation of the Qur'an, the taking of the name of Allah, the taking of the name of his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. A child grows up with these sounds. When a child begins to learn at the age of three, four, five, then traditionally Muslims have always taught the Qur'an, taught simple du'as and part of that du'a is salat and salam upon rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam a child accompanies the parents to the masjid when the parents enter the masjid when a muslim enters the masjid the house of allah the sunnah dua is Bismillahi was salatu was salamu ala rasulillah Allahumma iftah li abwaab rahmatik So you enter the masjid and you say Bismillah and then immediately after Bismillah by the name of Allah the first thing you say the continuation of the dua of the dua is was salatu was salamu ala rasulillah that salutations and greetings be to the messenger of Allah So one enters the masjid the child will enter the masjid along with the parent. If it's adhan, they hear the name of Allah and his Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If it's the iqamah, the name of Allah and his Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If it's a khutbah, the name of Allah and his Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And during the salah, as a child is taught, then towards the end when we have tashahud, then in the tashahud, one sends greetings to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As-salamu alayka ayyuhal nabiyya wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And then, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim till the end. And that's during the salah, in salah. And even after the yadhan, What is a sunnah, a sunnah dua? The mu'adhin will give the adhan. And after the mu'adhin completes his adhan, we repeat along with the mu'adhin the words of the adhan. And then once adhan ends, there's a sunnah dua, Allahumma rabba hadhi da'wati tamah wa salati al-qa'imah. But part of the sunnah is that before you read that dua is to send salat and salam upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and then you read this dua of adhan. So during the adhan his name is mentioned by the mu'adhin and those who repeat the words after him. After the adhan the mu'adhin and others recite salat and salam and then the dua of adhan and then iqamah and then salah. As that child grows up the more he or she learns about Islam, repeatedly they will learn about the Prophet ﷺ, and part of the tradition and the sunnah of Islam is, in fact, it's an instruction by Allah oh, Sorry, by, by Allah and then by Rasulullah Allah says in Surah Al-Ahzab, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيَّ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا That, O oh, believers, 
you send salutations and greetings to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And that's why it's an obligation that whenever we hear the name of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we should say, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. A child will learn this. The child's father is mentioned, mother is mentioned, other great people are mentioned, and the child will remain silent. But a child will be taught that when the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is mentioned, you do not remain silent, rather you repeat sallallahu alayhi wasallam upon his name. And that's how the child grows up <laughs> during education. The child will learn about the Prophet ﷺ and constantly recite Salat and Salam. When that person gets married, then there is no nikah without the khutbah of nikah. And the khutbah of nikah, the introductory sermon to nikah, to the marriage, will contain the name of Allah and His Rasul That's part of the sunnah. And when that, par- when that child becomes a parent and has children himself or herself, then the whole procedure is repeated. As this individual passes through life and eventually departs from this world, then what are some of the final things that happen? We are encouraged to do talqeen, which is to dictate and to remind those who are passing from this world into the next to recite the kalima and the shahadatayn, the name of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when they do depart from this world and we bid them farewell, we bid them farewell through the Salatul Janazah. And even in the Salatul Janazah, whilst their body is laid out before us and we stand over them and perform the Salah over them, then the Salah contains four takbirs. After the first takbir, it's the dua of istiftah. And according to, some, according to many imams and scholars, there's also the tilawah of Surah Al-Fatiha. And then after the second takbir, exclusively, we make dua for the mayyit, we make dua for the deceased only after the third takbir. But before we make any dua, before we pray for the departing soul and for the body that's laid out before us, after remembering Allah, after the first takbir, even before praying for the departed soul, after the second takbir, we exclusively send salat and salam, salutations and greetings to the Prophet And then after the third takbir, we make dua for the deceased, for the body laid out before us, for the funeral. And then after the funeral prayer, when we are lowering that body into the grave, we specifically utter the words whilst lowering the body Bismillah wa ala millati rasulillah that by the name of Allah and upon the religion of the messenger of Allah from the moment of birth till the time of death a believer's ears are ringing with the name of Allah and his rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and one comes into this world 
with the name of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, one departs from this world with the name of Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That is just part of the meaning of وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ That we have elevated your mention. That whenever the name of Allah is taken, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is remembered along with him. That is just part of the greatness and part of the privileged status that Allah has accorded the noble messenger sallallahu alayhi Going back to the salutations, the greetings. Allah Azza wa says, Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Verily Allah and his angels, they shower prayers, salutations and greetings on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa on the Messenger of Allah. O oh, believers, you do the same. Now imagine, every single moment of the day, Muslims across the globe, in prayer, out of prayer, publicly, privately, individually and in gatherings at every moment of the day they are constantly sending salutations peace and greetings to the prophet <coughs> there probably hardly is a second there is no second of the day when someone somewhere isn't sending salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, it's rare that a moment of the day could be passing without adhan and iqamah being given somewhere in some part of the world. But that's just adhan, that's just iqamah. And apart from salah, even out of prayer, people are constantly sending salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. And even if the creation doesn't do it, Allah says, Allah is doing it. The angels are doing it. We are merely instructed to partake in this and to be blessed and benefited ourselves. And this is another topic altogether, and inshallah I will speak on this. But I'll just end by saying one thing, which is, whenever we do hear the name of the Prophet ﷺ, we should recite sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I'll just mention one hadith in this regard Imam Hakim rahmatullahi relates this hadith in Zal Mustadrak and others too that the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum they saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ascend the mimbar and he placed his noble foot on the first step and he said, Ameen, then the second step. And he said, Ameen, then the third step. And then he said, Ameen. When he descended later, the companions asked him, O Messenger of Allah, today we saw you do something, which is, you stepped on the mimbar, and on the first step you said, Ameen, and then the second, Ameen, and then the third, Ameen. Prophet wasallam said, Yes. When I ascended the mimbar, Jibreel alayhi salam came to me and he made the dua. 
and I said Ameen to that dua. When I ascended the second step, he made a dua, I said Ameen to that dua. And then when I ascended the third step, he, said, he made a dua and I said Ameen to that dua. So the three Ameens that the companions heard were in response to the three prayers of Jibreel which they never heard. And then the Prophet mentioned the three prayers and du'as of Jibreel And the first one was, may that person be removed and distanced from the mercy of Allah. Who finds a month of Ramadan and then with the passing of Ramadan he does not earn Allah's forgiveness. So the Prophet said, Ameen. The second dua was, May that person, this was Jibreel making the dua, may that person be removed and distanced from Allah's mercy, in whose presence. Your name is mentioned, and he does not send salutations, peace, and greetings to you. So the Prophet said, Ameen. And the third dua was about parents that made that person be distanced from the mercy of Allah, who finds one or both of his parents, and then he is unable to earn Jannah through the service of one or both parents. The Prophet said, Ameen. Of course, there are many hadith about the virtues of reciting salutations, greetings, and peace upon Prophet And there are many benefits. Allah one sends one dua to the Prophet Allah showers him with ten. And his sins are forgiven, his rank is raised, his station is elevated. Allah has mercy on him. Allah forgives his sins. These are all just some of the rewards for sending salat and salam upon the Prophet But alongside these rewards, there's also a warning that those who fail to send salat and salam upon the Prophet specifically when his name is mentioned, then they are distanced from the mercy of Allah so we should make it a habit that whenever we do hear his noble name, either in, in fact, throughout history, you will never find the ulama of Islam in all of their copious writings ever mentioning the name of the Prophet ﷺ without adding salat and salam. In fact, the noble companions whenever they spoke to and addressed the Prophet apart from the unrefined Bedouin who had just come fresh from the desert and out of the city of Medina and who were totally unaware and utterly unfamiliar with the etiquettes of approaching and speaking to the Prophet and hence they would come and uh, often, because of, out of ignorance, without knowing, without realizing, they would just say, Ya Muhammad. Apart from these few instances, as far as the companions were concerned, they would never address him by his name. 
And not only that, but often when speaking to him, even those who are older than him would say, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi ya Rasulullah, that may my parents, may my, may my father and my mother be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. Imagine even the wives of the Prophet would speak to him in such terms. So never after the Sahaba عنهم, will you find any of the authors and the ulama of Islam writing the name of the Prophet وسلم, without the accompanying titles of reverence. And not just that, but after mentioning his name, you will never find a lack of salat and salam, a lack of salutations, peace and greetings. This is part of the adab which Allah has imposed upon us in respect of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. One who spent nights in prayer for the ummah. One who wept for the ummah. One who sacrificed so much for the ummah. It would be disrespectful and discourteous and disloyal for a person to refuse to undergo the trouble of parting their lips and moving their tongue to say at least the briefest of salat and salam and salutation and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ whenever his name is mentioned. In fact, the hadith contained categorical warnings of one's failure to do so. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُسَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِي Indeed, Allah and his angels, they send salutations, peace and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ. So, O oh believers, you do the same. And as I said, this is another topic, a topic in itself, and I will speak on it uh, on uh, an occasion in the near future, inshallah. But going back to the topic of the exalted status of Rasulullah this is part of that elevated mention. When Allah says, And we have elevated your mention. And Jibreel said to him that, My Lord and your Lord asks you, that how has Allah elevated your mention? Prophet said, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows best. Jibreel said, Well, Allah has elevated your mention by stating that whenever I am mentioned, you will be mentioned alongside me. And this is it. We have been told, apart from salah and adhan and iqamah, we have been told to repeatedly do the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whenever the name of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa is mentioned, to remember him too with salat, salam and dua. So وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ And we have elevated your mention. This is just part of it. We do not pray to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, But he is part of our prayer. We do not supplicate to him. But he is part of our supplication. And this is why in dua, it's related from Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab and These are his words. It's not a hadith, but this is an athar. This is a saying of Umar ibn al-Khattab that a person's dua remains suspended between the heavens and earth until he sends salat and salam upon the Prophet 
Imagine a person's dua, a person's supplication and prayer to Allah remains suspended and remains hung between the heaven and between heaven and earth until that person sends salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. This is why it's always been part of the tradition of dua that you praise Allah before you ask. And you also send salat and salam upon the Prophet ﷺ. Before you ask for yourself, before you make dua for yourself. And we have that in tashahud. At the end of salah, in tashahud. What does a person do? One first of all salutes and greets Allah Azza wa Jal. At And then one greets the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Assalamu alayka ayyuhun nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And then at the end of salah, before you make any dua such as which is actually a prayer for forgiveness. It's a prayer of repentance. Whether one utters those words or any other dua for oneself, before that dua, what do we do? After mentioning Allah Azza wa and greeting and saluting Allah, we send salat and salam upon the Prophet and his family before making dua for ourselves at the end of salah. So, just as Umar radiallahu anhu said, a person's dua remains suspended between the heaven, between heaven and earth until that person sends salat and salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Part of the elevated mention of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is that, as I said, we don't make dua to him, but he is part of our dua. We don't pray to him, but he is part of our prayer to Allah. We don't worship the Prophet ﷺ, but he is part of our worship. In salah, even salatul janazah, in everyday salah, whether it's farad or nafu, we mention the name of the Prophet ﷺ. Rasulullah elevated mention means that he is actually part of our everyday speech. In many parts of the Muslim world, well, first of all, the ulama have always taught that do the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and send salat and salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as often, as regularly as possible. And there's that famous hadith of Ubayy ibn Ka'b radiyallahu who said that I devote part of my remembrance to sending salat and salam upon you um, I'll mention that hadith on another occasion in detail. But part of the reward that the Prophet ﷺ promised him, if he made all of his remembrance, sending salutations and greetings to the Prophet ﷺ was that your sins will be forgiven and Allah will take care of your needs and your affairs. So part of the vocabulary of a Muslim is taking the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with salat and salam. And in many parts of the world, many Muslims have a habit of saying Allahumma salli ala Muhammad on various occasions. So for instance, if we lose something in parts of the world, if it's become a tradition that when people lose something, 
Whilst they're looking for it, they actually say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. So they're reciting salat and salam. And when, when they're asking others, I'm looking for my keys, my lost item, then they, they help in the search, but they also remind him or her that salli ala nabi, salli ala nabi, that send salat and salam. So they're all saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, while searching for the item. As I said, it's not a prescribed, it's not a prescribed dua or such. I'm just saying it's become part of the voc- vocabulary of Muslims. In, again, in many parts of the world, if someone wants to appeal to another person's compassion and softness, then, for instance, when, if two people are having a heated exchange of words, and one wishes the other to calm down and maybe win over their heart, maybe pacify them, calm them down, appeal to their reason, their softness, their compassion, then one way of doing it is that people say, Salli ala nabi, salli ala nabi. And then the person sends salat and salam himself, so he's saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. And the idea behind this is that the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and salat and salam upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will calm the other person, will appeal to their compassion, their mercy, their soft nature. Again, like I said, this isn't a prescribed dua. Do not get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that this is a dua or a form of dhikr in itself. But of these two things, I'm just saying that in many parts of the Muslim world, it's actually become part of the vocabulary and the tradition that people take the name of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with salat and salam even on these occasions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, And we have elevated your mention. It's, it's remarkable that um, even from people that you would not imagine I recall that when, at the time, on one occasion, when the Prophet ﷺ was disparaged and satirized and lampooned and attacked, and there was a worldwide discussion about this topic, on that occasion, two of the greatest and two of the leading football teams in Egypt, they had a, a match. And it was, uh, these were the t- two of the leading teams at the top of the league. They had a match in Egypt. And it was in these days when there was a scandal across the world of the Prophet ﷺ being satirized and attacked. And... When the players appeared on the field, normally all the players have T-shirts with their logos and their, with the logos and the advertising material of their sponsors. But on this occasion, both opposing teams came on the field, and all the players had their numbers. But apart from that, no advertising, no logos. All of them had imprinted Fidaka Abi wa Ummi Ya Rasulullah. That may my father and mother be 
your ransom or messenger of Allah. So the surprising thing is, even from such people that you wouldn't imagine, but indeed the love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is embedded in the hearts of those who follow him. And this is part of that honouring when Allah said, We have elevated your mention. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the status in the dunya. And indeed Allah has granted him the same status in the akhirah. In fact, in the world, a person, like I said, he's not, we do not pray to him, but he is part of our prayer. We do not worship him, but he's part of our worship. In fact, he is part of our iman, he is part of our faith. A person cannot believe until he or she doesn't just love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but the words are, until he or she loves him more than oneself, one's children, one's parents. And this is what the love of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum was. And that's part of the faith, that's part of iman. As Imam Bukhari and others all relate from Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu an, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده ووالده والناس أجمعين That one of you cannot believe until I am more beloved to him than his parents, his children, and all of men. And indeed, that was the love of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is just part of his exalted status. Allah has said that Allah has made his love a condition of faith. Allah has made his obedience a condition of success. One cannot obey Allah without the obedience of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And just as Allah said that I have elevated your mention by ensuring that whenever I am mentioned, you are mentioned in a similar manner. There is no concept of the ta'ah and the obedience of Allah without the obedience of the Prophet The two cannot be separated. The disobedience of the Messenger is the disobedience of Allah. And the obedience of the Messenger is the obedience of Allah. And there is no obedience of Allah without obeying and following the noble Prophet Verse after verse of the Holy Qur'an attests to this. Verse after verse. Whoever obeys the messenger, then indeed he has obeyed Allah. Ya rasul. O believers, obey Allah and obey his messenger. rasul and obey Allah and his messenger. Verse after verse, align and conjoin the obedience of Allah with the obedience of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There cannot be one without the other. In fact, Allah has made it an obligation, and this was his status. This was the status of the Prophet ﷺ. That one cannot even harbor any doubt or reservation in one's heart after the judgment of the Messenger. إِنَّمَا كَانَ قَوْلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذَا دُعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ 
Two separate verses. In the first, Allah says, By your Lord, nay, by your Lord, they will not believe until they make you the judge in their disputes. Then, after your judgment, they do not find or harbor or sense any reservation in their hearts over the judgment that you have passed between them. And until they do not submit the slima, a total submission, in the second verse which I just recited, when the believers are called to Allah and His Messenger وسلم, so that He may judge between them, their only reply can be, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا We have heard and we have obeyed. That was the noble status of the Prophet ﷺ. This is what it means in Islam to, to believe in Allah, to worship Allah, and to obey Allah. None of these things can be achieved without including the Prophet ﷺ in one's dua, in one's prayer, in one's ibadah and worship, in one's belief. Because this was his status. He was, he was a representative of Allah who came to us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected him and chose him. And not just, although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conferred nubuwa upon him, in a hadith related by my Muslim, meaning although Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conferred, I wouldn't say he conferred nubuwa on him at the age of 40, no. Although his prophethood was declared and manifested and announced to the world at the age of 40, when was he given prophethood? When was he chosen and selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Imam Muslim rahmatullahi relates hadith in his sahih that before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth, 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recorded the decrees. Allah recorded qadr. Allah decreed qadr. And as part of what Allah registered in the dhikr at that time was 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And 50,000 years not of our calculation, but the calculation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Part of what Allah decreed in the dhikr then, long before the creation of the heavens and the earth, was that Muhammad is the seal of the prophets. Khatamun Nabi. That the Prophet ﷺ is a seal of the Prophets. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed his position long before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says that I was a prophet even whilst Adam was still uncreated between the water and the earth. Meaning even before Adam salam was created into the being that he eventually became, even before that creation, I was a prophet of Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him that status even before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And then he gave him that status or he manifested it in the dunya and it will continue in the akhirah. In fact, at the end of his life, the Prophet ﷺ was given a choice. He was given choices. 
on one occasion, Jibreel was sent to him. Sorry, an angel, Jibreel came to him and said, O Messenger of Allah, here is an angel. There was another angel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent him specifically to you. He has never descended before this day. And he comes to ask you a question with a message from Allah. So that angel then spoke to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Your Lord asks that will you be a sovereign and a prophet? Will you be a, pro- a sovereign, a king, a monarch and a prophet? Just like Dawood and Sulaiman Although that wasn't the question. The question was just, will you be a sovereign, a monarch, a king and a prophet? Or will you be a servant and a messenger? So just on that occasion, Jibreel motioned to the Prophet and suggested to him, that be humble before your Lord, O Muhammad. So the Prophet said to them, Angel, rather I will be a humble servant and messenger of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a choice. Do you wish to be a king and a prophet? Or a servant and a messenger. At the end of his life, Allah gave him another choice. Rasulullah ascended the mimbar <coughs> and spoke. Imam Bukhari relates this hadith from Abu Sa'id al Khudri. Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al Khudri was a young companion, but he was one of the most prolific narrators. It's remarkable that the hadith I mentioned at the beginning, that was Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu'an's narration. This is Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu'an's narration. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ascended the mimbar and he said, Verily Allah gave a choice to a servant between the dunya and the akhirah. Between that which is with Allah and what's in this world. So the servant chose that which is with Allah. That's all he said. Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu began weeping. So the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, some of them, they turned to him and some of them said, Mali hadha shaykhi yabki, that what is it with this old man or with this elderly person? Not old man in the offensive sense, or what is it with this elder that he weeps? Allah gave a servant a choice between that which is with Allah and that which is in the dunya. So he chose that with that which is with Allah. And then Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu an said that indeed that servant was none other than the messenger of Allah. Meaning the choice Allah had given him was that do you wish to remain in the world or do you wish to return to Allah and choose that which is with Allah, i.e. his company, over the world. But Allah gave him that choice. And Abu Sa'id al-Khudri says, that servant was none other than the messenger of Allah, and he chose that which is with Allah, i.e. the company of Allah. And there was no one who understood that save Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. That's why he began weeping. And then Prophet comforted and consoled Abu Bakr and said that there is no one who has been more generous to me and kinder to me 
in his wealth and in his family than Abu Bakr. And if I was to take anyone as a dear friend, as a Khalil, as a best friend, then as a beloved friend, then I would take Abu Bakr as that friend. But rather, he said, Khullatul Islam, rather it's the dear friendship and the love of Islam. And in one narration, Allah. I.e. that position, of course it was his best friend, but that unique position of deep, a deep bond of love and of friendship, something which surpasses any concept of ours in relation to love, friendship, loyalty, attachment. Rasulullah said, that khulla, that loyalty, that bond, that attachment, that is reserved only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only for Islam, not even for Abu Bakr So he chose that which is with Allah. So even at the end of his life, part of his status was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a choice. Do you wish to remain in the world or do you wish to return? Allah gave him that choice. And then when the Prophet chose the Akhirah, he departed from this world. Then what will happen? In the Akhirah, his position is very similar. He was great before he came into the dunya. He was great in the dunya. He remains great after he left the dunya. In fact, possibly his greatness will be manifested in an even better manner in the Akhirah on Yawm Al-Qiyam. In that famous long hadith of intercession, which we covered in Sahih al-Bukhari, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is a hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and others. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says at the beginning of that hadith that an Sayyidun Nasi yawm that I am the master and the leader of mankind on the day of judgment. Imam Tirmidhi, Allah subhanahu wa taala, says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Surah al-Duha. And as for the favor of your Lord, speak thereof. Prophet was humble, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that the favors and the bounties of Allah which He has bestowed upon you, announce them to the people, speak to them thereof. And part of that announcing the favor of Allah was that the Prophet said, Imagine, subhanAllah. When we, we announce the favor of Allah, we speak of property, of wealth, of meager, worldly, mundane things. Alhamdulillah, Allah has given this, and I'm not being boastful. Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me this, and I'm not proud, I'm grateful to Allah. Imagine the things that we boast of that Allah has bestowed on us. And when we say wala fakhr, meaning I'm not boasting, we can only ask ourselves how sincere we are in saying so. What was the boast of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates that on yawm al-qiyamah, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, أَنَا سَيِّدُ وُلْدِ آدَمَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَلَا فَخْرَ I am, or I shall be, 
the master of the children of Adam on the day of reckoning. And there is no boast in this. And he continues saying, In my hand, In my hand shall be the standard of praise. And there is no boast in this. And all the people, in fact all the prophets, and there is no prophet all the way from Adam to those descending after him, except that every prophet will be under my banner and standard on the day of judgment. I am the first of those, I am the first to emerge from the earth on the day of reckoning, and there is no boast. And Prophet ﷺ mentioned a number of things, adding the words, and this is no boast. But the most important thing is, I am or I shall be the master of mankind, the leader of mankind, the leader of the children of Adam on the day of reckoning, on the day of judgment, and there is no boast in this. And part of that will be that people will go to all of the prophets والسلام, and request them that plead with Allah, intercede on our behalf, that Allah at least begins a reckoning. The weight for the reckoning will be unbearable. Imagine the reckoning itself. The weight is agonizing. In fact, even in the dunya, Waiting for a good thing is agonizing. Man is impatient. Man has been created with the temperament of haste. Man is hasty in everything. So whether it's good or bad, man can't take the weight. And even if there is a problem, the weight is agonizing in itself. In fact, it's, re- it's remarkable when there's a case, a court case, criminal or civil, lawyers often have this phrase. They tell their clients that, don't worry, you, the judgments will come soon, one way or the other, so you'll be out of your misery. And a lot of people think, well, that, uh, how, am I suppo- how am I supposed to read that? I don't want any judgment against me. But lawyers often say, this is one of their most famous phrases, don't worry, one way or the other, it'll be resolved. So the wait will be over. And sometimes, indeed, that period of waiting for the court judgment, for the trial, for the case, is of greater agony than the case itself. So on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, people will be running from prophet to prophet, from prophet to messenger, pleading with them that we can't tolerate the wait anymore. Plead with Allah to at least begin the reckoning. So each prophet will send representatives of mankind to the next prophet, to the next prophet, to the next prophet. And each prophet will plead with mankind that this is not my station today. And then ultimately they will be sent to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rasulullah will then, he says, I will proceed. I will fall into prostration. 
And then, whilst in prostration, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will then utter words of praise to Allah, which I do not even know now, but which Allah will inspire me to do so. And then after such a long time, in sujood, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell him, O Muhammad, raise your head, ask and it shall be given. Intercede and your intercession shall be accepted. And that's when the Prophet will intercede on behalf of the whole creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the meaning of he shall raise the standard and banner of praise on the day of judgment. He is the leader of mankind on the day of judgment. All of the prophets of Allah, beginning from Adam all the way up to him, shall be under his banner on the day of judgment. That, was, that is just, again, part of the great status conferred on him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that will be in the Akhirah. Whether one speaks of before his birth, after his birth, after his departure from the world, or even on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conferred a unique status upon the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a personal love for him. So not had, Allah has very personal love for him. To the extent that throughout the Qur'an, there are repeated references of Allah rebuking, chastising, warning others not to hurt, not to harm, not to offend the noble messenger wasallam. We're not just speaking of his enemies. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned even his closest followers, even members of his family. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhumah, his two closest, most senior companions, his fathers-in-law, Allah azza wa warned both of them. Allah azza wa warned the sahaba radiallahu anhum. Allah even warned Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anhumah, not to hurt, not to offend the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in fact, in the, the, one of the verses of Surah Al-Tahreem, look at the words that Allah uses in relation to Hafsa and Aisha radiyallahu anhumah. In tatuba ila Allahi faqad saghat qulubukma wa in tadahara alayhi fa inna Allah huwa mawlahu wa jibrilu wa salihul mu'mineen wal malaikatu ba'da thalika zaheer. Allah says, addressing Hafsa and Aisha radiyallahu anhumah, if you both repent, then, indeed, this is what should be. This is what it should be. For your hearts did swerve, did sway. But if you both collude and come together against him, against Prophet and remember, Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anhumah didn't do something Extreme? No. Hafsa and Aisha radiallahu anhumah were responsible for hurt, for inconveniencing him. And for repeatedly inconveniencing him. And for hurting and bothering him. But even for that, Allah warned them with these words. That if you collude against him, then know that Allah is his guardian and Jibreel, and the pious believers. And after that, after that, 
the angels do stand behind him in God. That was a warning not to the enemies. That was a warning to Ummul Mu'mineen, Aisha and Ummul Mu'mineen, Hafsa radiyallahu anhumah. Allah warned Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhumah at the beginning of Surah Al-Hujarat and I've commented on the whole of, the, of Surah Al-Hujarat in detail so you are well aware of the background and the story. Allah says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تُقَدِّمُوا بَيْنَ يَدَيِ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَرْفَعُوا أَسْوَاتَكُمْ فَوْقَ صَوْتِ النَّبِيِّ وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْدِكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ أَنْ تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ O believers, do not place yourselves before Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And be wary of Allah, verily Allah is all hearing, all knowing. That was a direct warning to Abu Bakr and Umar And then Allah says, O believers, do not raise your voices over the voice of the noble, of the Prophet. And do not speak to him loudly in the manner of you speaking loudly to each other, lest your deeds perish and you do not even realize. Imagine. Forget just placing oneself before the messenger of Allah. Trying to outdo him, surpass him. Even raising one's voice could be liable to one forfeiting one's deeds for good without even knowing or realizing. This is why after the revelation of these verses, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu said, Umm Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha relates, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu said, By Allah, I will never speak to the Messenger of Allah except as someone who whispers. And that's what he would do whenever he would speak to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu would whisper. And as far as Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu is concerned, despite his booming voice, because he was loud of voice, despite his booming voice whenever he would speak to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he would speak so softly, Rasulullah would strain to hear him, and then he would actually ask him to repeat what he said. And that was Umar. Part of that exalted status is that Allah strictly commanded believers, the people of Medina, his closest companions, even his family members, to speak to him properly, to approach him properly, to sit before him in a certain way, to conduct themselves before him in a certain way. Allah taught them manners and the manner of speech, the manner of behavior, the manner of conduct. And when they ever failed in that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically warned them in the Qur'an. The Prophet was very bashful. He would never say anything himself. Never. He would hardly say. Sometimes he would. Sometimes. But rarely. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa wouldn't say much. And the Qur'an is replete with, with instructions related to various aspects. Whenever the, something would happen, Rasulullah alayhi wouldn't respond, wouldn't say anything. Allah azza wa would respond. Surah Al-Hujarat in relation to Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhuma. Surah Al-Tahreem in relation to the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and Surah Al-Mujadara, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to advise the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum how to sit before him, how to sit in his gathering, to rise. 
and depart so as not to burden him. And there are countless examples. Allah also in Surah Al-Ahzab, Allah mentions the account of uh, Zayd ibn Haritha and then Allah also refers to the story of the marriage of the Prophet وسلم, which he, and, and what happened on that occasion. The Prophet وسلم, married Zainab bin Jahsh and the Sahaba were invited and they ate and after eating they remain seated, engaged in conversation. And this inconvenienced the Prophet So he kept on coming to check whether they were still there. And he'd part the curtain and see that the Sahaba was still seated in his house. Imagine the companions were his students, his followers. They were seated in his house. But he was so soft of nature that he couldn't find it in himself to openly tell them to rise and leave. He couldn't. So he kept on going, checking. They were still there. He went away, came back. It was getting very late. Checked. They were still there. He went back. Returned. They were still there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as normal, he wouldn't say it. Allah would respond on his behalf. And the verse that was revealed was, O believers, لا يا أيها الذين آمنوا لا تدخلوا بيوت النبي إلا أن يؤذن لكم إلى طعام غير ناظرين إنا ولكن إذا دعيتم فادخلوا فإذا طعمتم فانتشروا ولا مستأنسين لحديث. It's all about this. And then Allah says, إن ذلك كان يؤذي النبي فيستحي منكم والله لا يستحي من الحق. Indeed, this inconvenienced the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but he was shy of you and know that Allah does not shy away from the truth. So he was inconvenienced. He, was, he wasn't even hurt. It was just a minor annoyance, a minor inconvenience. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as normal, took it upon himself. Part of the exalted status of the Prophet is that even his noble companions were categorically instructed and warned if they failed to do so. They were instructed on how to speak to him, how to behave in front of him, how to conduct themselves with him, before him, in speech, in mannerisms, in approach. How they should sit, how they should rise, when they should rise and disperse. How they should approach him in his homes. To the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, do not speak to him loudly, one, as in Surah Al-Hujarat. And then also, لا تجعلوا دعاء الرسول بينكم كدعاء بعضكم بعضا do not make the call and the address of the messenger as you make the call and address for each other. I.e., when you speak to him, even though you may speak to him softly, do not address him like you address one another. Do not speak to him on first name terms. Look. Oh Muhammad, oh Muhammad. In fact, Allah doesn't do that. Throughout the Quran, Allah speaks to the Prophet. In a certain manner, Allah addresses him by name. But when it came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with titles, Ya ayyuhal muddathir, Ya ayyuhal muzzammil.
Allah does not call out to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya ayyuhal nabi, Ya ayyuhal rasul. Allah does not address him by his name. He doesn't. And we have been commanded to the same. In fact, even the companions were told to do the same. That the Prophet ﷺ is different. You do not even call him out by name. And this is why the Sahaba عنهم, apart from the Bedouin who were unaware and unfamiliar, they would not address him by his name. Always with titles. And in fact, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi Ya Rasulullah, may my father and mother be your ransom or messenger of the Prophet ﷺ had a unique status which is unrivaled, unparalleled, and that was unprecedented even amongst the messengers of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even spoke to him in that manner. In fact, when Allah wanted to reprimand him, Allah spoke to him in very soft terms, sometimes in the third person, just like. If you want to reprimand someone and correct someone, but you want to do it with love and affection, then one way of doing it is by speaking in the third term. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did that. He wanted to correct him as far as Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was concerned. So Allah used the whole incident and related the story in the third term. Abasa wa tawalla and ja'ahul a'ma. That he frowned and turned away. Because a blind man came to him. When Allah wanted to correct him, because he, unknowingly, but still, he granted permission to the hypocrites, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, May Allah excuse you. Why did you grant them permission? So even when Allah wanted to correct and reprimand the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him in a certain way. Indeed, that was a relationship of love and affection on the part of Allah for Rasulullah Something not enjoyed by any of the prophets or messenger, let alone anyone else. Allah conferred a unique status upon the Prophet before his birth, in the world, in the dunya, after his departure from this world. And Allah will confer an exalted status upon him, especially on the Day of Judgment. There is so much to be said, like uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the question, what, was the st- what is the status, or what can we say about the status of the Prophet ﷺ, is an open-ended one, similar to asking, what is Islam? So much can be said, but I hope that I have conveyed a share of just part of the exalted status Allah has bestowed upon the Prophet ﷺ. Over the next few weeks, inshallah, I'll continue to speak on various topics such as the love of the Prophet ﷺ and a number of other individual aspects of his character and personality and his position. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to appreciate and recognize the lofty status of our noble messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and most importantly to follow in his footsteps, to obey him and 
to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through him. Because ultimately, that's what it is. There can't be any claim of love without true obedience. And there is no obedience of Allah without the obedience of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa